Faith Fit Radio and the Diocese of Orlando presents Ex Nihilo with Father Martin Wen and Steve Bucklin, a program that is seeking to lead young adults to Christ and to enkindle a deeper faith that is fully alive. Now, here are your hosts. Well, hello, everyone. Welcome to our weekly podcast. This is your host, Father Martin. Are you sure? I'm pretty sure. I'm fairly confident I'm your co-host, Steve Buckland. It's great to be with you again as we roll in to the last Lenten edition of Ex Nihilo. Isn't it crazy? I cannot believe that the season of Lent is coming to a close rapidly. And by the time you're listening to this podcast, it will be Holy Tuesday. Yeah, we'll be knee-deep into Holy Week. The Christmas right around the corner, and then, of course, the Sacred Triduum, kicking off Thursday evening. The holiest of the holiest days. Wow. And this is your first as a priest. It is. So I get to participate in the Christmas, recommitting my priestly promises to the bishop on the day of my ordination to uh, care for the souls of uh, the people that have been entrusted to my charge. Uh, then the next day we... Oh, hold on now, hold on. Now yes. the prison mass is important. That The prison mass really kind of gets us into gear. I mean, it really kind of makes manifest the first kind of big event in Holy Week and besides renewing your priestly vows. And it's not just Father Martin all by himself, by the way, although he may be the only one. He'd like to be the only <laughs> one in the cathedral. The reality is, is that every priest from the diocese, uh, if they're able... Um, comes to the cathedral here, celebrates the Christmas Mass with Bishop Noonan, and it's more than just the recommitting of your priestly vows. You guys get to go home with gifts. That's true. Well, first of all, the reason why we gather together, it is a chance for us to, once again, recommit our priesthood into the one priesthood of Jesus Christ and under our bishop. So it is a very significant event. It Um, is. And then, like Steve said, we get to go home with gifts. That is the oils that will be blessed for the use of the year. Uh, we're talking about the oil of the sick. So obviously that is used for the sacrament of anointing. Then we have the oil of the catechumens used in the, uh, the course of baptism for the purpose of uh, exorcism. Yep. And then the sacred chrism, which is for confirmation, consecration of any churches and most importantly, ordination. Right. And now the two oils, the oil of the sick and the oil of catechumens, those oils are blessed by the bishop. But the oil of uh, the chrism oil is actually consecrated. So what's the difference between just blessing the oil and consecrating the oil? Oh, that's a tough question. <laughs> I know. I just threw it out at you. I know the answer. We're just, this is like Catholic Jeopardy for you. Well, why don't you enlighten us with the answer? <laughs> well, no, let me just... For a moment, say there's a difference in the liturgical gesture that was yep. used during the blessing of the, uh, the the other two oils and the chrism, because for the other oils, the bishop just say a blessing over uh, over the oil, right. but the sacred chrism, the bishop technically should breathe on the the chrism, and then he and the other priest present would join hands and say the prayer of consecration. That's right. And so to consecrate something literally means is to take something, make it sacred, to take an object and take it out of the world of ordinary use for us and to bring it into the use of things that are out of this world or into the world of God. Right. 
So it's very similar to when the priest consecrate the host. We call out, we call down the Holy Spirit on the gifts. When the bishop breathed on the oil of chrism, he he called out the the power of the Holy Spirit as well to consecrate, to make holy that oil. So. In a sense, it is set apart as something much, much more special. Right, and of course, the recipe. And just in case you're wondering, uh, if you uh, you know following along, the recipe for sacred chrism is uh, 99 parts olive oil, preferably extra virgin, uh, one part balsam extract. Oh, it smells good. It smells great. Uh, that's what gives it its beautiful fragrance. And then, oh, I guess the other one percent, which would make 101 percent. But my math is poor. Uh, you actually need the bishop. So you got three things. So I need extra virgin olive oil, balsam extract, and a bishop to get sacred chrism. Oh, my. <laughs> <laughs> so after the priests have gone home with their gifts, um, and typically in a lot of dioceses, or traditionally going back, the chrism mass was the uh, was actually uh, held morning. on Thursday morning. So Holy Thursday morning, that would be the only mass that would be celebrated in the diocese. Uh, but obviously here in Orlando, because our diocese is so big, we have pastors who are as far away as Ocala and down at the beach and stuff. So we actually do it on Wednesday night to allow everybody to get home in, in time to celebrate um, the Mass of the Last Supper, which is the next the next big highlight of Holy Week. Yes, because on that night we celebrate, obviously, the Last Supper of the Lord with His disciples. And three very significant things take place that night. One, we carry out what is called the mandatum, the, the mandate of the Lord. We wash the feet of, uh, of 12 people. Technically, in the book, it said 12 men. But uh, the Holy Father Francis has changed the, the norms a little bit, and he mixed both gender. Um, and age. And age. And you don't have to be Catholic to get your feet washed by Father Martin. So I'm still taking requests up to <laughs> about 7 p.m. if you'd like to get your name in the hat. Uh, <laughs> I'm afraid to ask. But anyway, and then the second thing that we're celebrating that night is the institution of the priesthood. On um, that night, by the very fact that the Lord was uh, leaving us the Eucharist, he said, do this in memory of me. So that night he created, alongside with the Holy Eucharist, the priesthood as well. So uh, it's a very, for me right now, I anticipate this a lot because it, my first year as a priest and, and to get a chance to commemorate the birth of my priesthood in the Lord's priesthood, that was be something I think would be so beautiful. It is. And if you haven't been able to come to uh, a Holy Thursday Mass, to the Mass of Last Supper, it is very beautiful, and, and you know you begin to see there's a connection between the priesthood and the Chrism Mass, the priesthood and Mass of the Last Supper, mm -hmm. right? Which ends, and once the Mass of the Last Supper begins, actually, um, listen, pay attention if you come to the Mass. You're going to hear the bells ring at the beginning of that Mass. They're going to ring a lot. Mm -hmm. And then the bells shan't ring again until the Easter Vigil. Until the Easter Vigil, that's right. The other thing that you'll notice is after that Mass, after the Holy Thursday Mass, your tabernacles are going to be open and your sanctuary lamps will be extinguished. So uh, just so you remember, um, it, some, in some parishes here at the cathedral, we do adoration after, uh, after Mass until midnight. Uh, but then when you come into the church on Holy 
Friday or Good Friday, remember not to genuflect. That's true. Just giving you a hint there. There's no even, need to get down on your knees on Friday. And also, you don't even bow to the altar because all the linen is stripped, uh, representing the passion of the Lord. So, just to trace all of what is taking place on the tritium Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. You know, read the Passion of the Lord, starting from the moment of agony in the garden. Why do we do adoration on Thursday night? It is to respond to the question that the Lord asks His disciples. Can you not stay awake with me for one hour? Right, and we know how well the uh, disciples did. If you come into the cathedral, that would be the third painting from the left, and you'll notice that the three disciples, Peter, James, and John, are fast asleep. Well, that would very well be what Father Martin is going to be doing as well because I'm on duty that day, and that means i got to stay until midnight to repose the Blessed Sacrament. Well, all that really means, folks, is that the espresso machine is going to be cranking, and it's a good thing we just cleaned it. <laughs> so coming to Good Friday, yes, uh, the church linens, everything will be stripped. The statue, All decorations are out of the church. And the statue will be covered. And on that day, there is no Mass taking place. No. There's no Mass taking place. And if you attend the, the service on Good Friday, which is the, uh, the solemn liturgy of the Lord's Passion, it's, it's so rich in, in uh, meaning. Yes. Because the priest, or in this case at our cathedral, the bishop and his priest will come in, and we, we will lie prostrate in front of the altar. The very symbol of laying down our life, just as the Lord Jesus laying down his life on the hill of Calvary for the sake of the world. And what time do you do this? Three o'clock in the afternoon. And why three o'clock? Which is traditionally the hour when the Lord uh, passes. If you can say dies, it's okay. The, the Lord died. Yeah. They'll only bump us to a PG-13 rating now, but it'll be fun. <laughs> we'll, we will endure so Good Friday. Now the big the big puzzler is is so um, so Jesus dies three o'clock Good Friday, and then if you uh, anybody who's familiar with the Apostles' Creed, it says he descended into hell. Correct. Right, and that's where he spent Saturday. Well, not the best choice, I would say, for spending a Saturday in hell. But right. The Lord chose to do so, and why? Um, different tradition has said that, uh, and we. We was trying to tackle that uh, that phrase, descent into hell. What does that mean? What is hell? Right. Uh, That's a whole other podcast. Right. And we don't really have a good answer for you. The church's father used the concepts of Hades, the land of the dead, from like Greek mythology. But that doesn't quite... Um, it doesn't illustrate it. I don't think it illustrates it all the sure. way. And part of that is, and part of the reason they use kind of these Hellenistic visions, this notion that hell is a place and, it, and you go down and to it is because conceptually, and you have to remember that 2,000 years ago, man's conception of things and, and, its abil and our ability as uh, people, um, and I say man, I mean men, women, everybody, ability to understand things was much uh, less refined. We didn't know as much as we do today. Um, and really, now when we talk about hell, um, the church more closely defines hell as the complete separation from God. Sure, yeah. Whereas the understanding of hell back then is just a state or a place where all the souls that die before the passion of Christ reside until he comes and brings them with 
with him, liberated them from that land of the dead. Um, so that includes all the patriarchs, all the, the holy people who died before the redemption took place by the passion of Christ. Right. So Jesus goes down, gets everybody, and brings them up. That's pretty much it. Yeah. Um, obviously, that's the one day that, actually, Tridium is the one time that absolutely no other sacraments should be offered except uh, anointing of the sick and, I believe, confession. Um, it, baptism only takes place if there's an emergency in danger of death. Right. So, yes, and, and it makes sense. I mean, it's the three days um, which, as a church, we mourn the loss of our Lord's Right. But life. also, Holy Saturday is characterized, characterized by a silence. A silence that is both mournful, sad because the de the death of the Lord, but also a longing, a longing for the fulfillment of the promise that, that on the third day He will rise. Exactly. Which brings us as we roll through uh, Holy Saturday <clears throat> into Saturday Eve, and so once the sun goes down, we begin. So we, as Catholics, liturgically follow the Jewish calendar. So in the sense that when the sun goes down, that's when the next day starts. Right. So Sunday begins for us liturgically once the sun goes down. And of course the sun's times are changing, you know, as it moves back and forth um, uh, relative to the earth. But for our purposes, that is 8 p.m. Uh, so at 8 p.m. on Holy Saturday, we begin the Great Easter Vigil. Now, did you know that the Easter Vigil didn't get moved until the the sundown of Holy Saturday until the 1950s? Yeah, that's very new. You, Easter Vigil used to not begin until after midnight. Oh, no, 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 no. Back, Pius XII was the one who restored to the later in the day because it used to be quietly celebrated on Saturday morning. Oh, I didn't realize that. No, was, I, I've heard of crazy. celebrations beginning. Back in the time of Constantine, it would go begin at night. It didn't begin until midnight. It went right, all right. the way and, midnight and, until the sun rose. And they would they would greet the, the rising of the sun as yeah. the, the resurrection. But at some point along the way, we moved it to Saturday morning, which is it didn't make any sense. Mm -hmm. So we're grateful to Pope Pius XII <clears throat> for bringing it back to the night. Correct. <laughs> and that celebration, I mean, I've been attending that for the last uh, 12 years. Mm -hmm. Every... Uh, year I attended the Easter Vigil, and it's always been very moving and touching for me, uh, especially uh, the beginning, the beginning yes. when we begin with the Lucianarium, which is the service of the light. And what takes place is we bless the new fire. And after we bless the new fire, representing the resurrection, we bless the Easter candle. Right, the Paschal candle. So... And before we jump, kind of dive into that that particular element, um, there there's so many things that are going on at the Easter Vigil. We come into the church, um, you'll see a great crowd of people out in front of your church. This is actually kind of taking along um, symbolism of the old church, um, and that light that is being lit and brought into the church was originally, back in the day, um, was brought in by the neophytes. So we've, we've actually changed that liturgy a little bit. Um, in the olden days, and I think we talked, we hit on this in the RCA podcast a few weeks back, 
but that all those, all of the uh, elect, the elect of God, <clears throat> would be baptized, and then first, and then they would enter the church first, and then all of, lit, led by the Paschal candle um, into the church. So, but, and, and they would hold a candle with themselves. a new, new lit fire. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But now the way we do it is, is we're outside of the church. We light a great big fire at the cathedral. The fire gets bigger every year. Don't feel bad if you're not outside. Um, you'll still probably feel the heat even even way deep into the nave. Um, <laughs> I almost got singed last year. It was great. Um, but uh, so the bishop is going to light that fire. From that fire, which is then blessed, we would light the Paschal candle. And the Paschal candle is, is very, it's a very ancient tradition. It goes back well into the uh, late first century um, and has continued on in various forms. Um, even today. And the Paschal candle, in case you're like, what are they talking about this Paschal candle? Just look for when the you're biggest at mass, candle. The biggest candle. It's usually um, it's usually uh, going to be near, if you have a baptismal font in, in your uh, nave, it'll be near that. Um, or it might be close to the altar, but it'll be a big giant candle decorated, and it'll have five pins of incense stuck in it. Right. And the year. Right, right. And it, the whole candle represents Christ, symbolizes Jesus Christ. Yes. Um, Steve and I were doing some research, and so the uh, just so you guys know, we do actually research the topic. Yeah, occasionally. <laughs> so the the body of the candle itself is made out of pure bee wax. Yes, and it's white, and it represents the purity of the body of Christ, the flesh of Christ itself. Um, the wig, the the the, the, the what? Okay, did you just call it a wig? <laughs> You did. It's a wig. It's a wig. It's a wig. <laughs> oh, I hate English sometimes. <laughs> what is wig in Vietnamese? Uh, I don't even know. I don't know. Okay. All right. Maybe they don't have. Well, you guys have them. We do. Everybody we has do. Candles. I forgot. There's the just word. no name for it. Okay. Well, the wig. So we have the, we have the beeswax, which symbolizes the purity of the body of Christ. Right. Right. It symbolizes his his pure flesh. The wick represents his mortal. Humanity. His humanity, his mortal soul. Correct. Yes. Right? And the flame represents his divinity. divinity. So now you're getting the hypostatic union all in one candle. Right. And uh, <laughs> I'm still I'm still all right. Oh, no. From and WeCat has Google Translate up for us. Don't trust Google Translate. <laughs> anyway, uh, let's go back to the Easter candle. Here. So, yes. So the candle. So very rich in symbolism. Um, we mentioned the three elements of the candle. The candle is 100%, as you mentioned, 100% beeswax. Um, it is. Uh, it will be lit, and then something is going on usually while the candle is being lit. What? The in tradition, in tradition, you would actually do the exalted while you were lighting the candle. Is that so? Yeah, that I did not know. They moved it in. That's a that's a new well, thing. But let me move back a little and, and explain a bit about the symbolism that. Oh, usually... we did skip a few things on the candle. Right, right. The, the... Sorry, I'm so excited about the exalted. Father Martin's going to sing a little exalted here coming up. Which no, he won't. Yes, he will. In, if you want to hear it, if you want to hear it, come to the uh, the cathedral for the Easter vigil. <laughs> but uh, the the decoration on the candle itself, typically it is decorated with the two Greek letters, Alpha and Omega. Which, which symbolize? The beginning and the end that is the title of the Lord from the book of right. Revelation. Um, it usually has 
a cross decorated on it, and then we put on the cross the three the five pins. Five pins, which are supposed to be grains of incense. It should be. Yeah, they're not just like pins that you'd find at say Hobby Lobby. Right, and uh, the reason why we use incense is the Easter candle is considered an offering to God as well, and so the grain of incense represented the prayers, the the offering. And then the number five, the five pins represent the five wounds of Jesus on his hands, on his feet, and on his side. Right. And so the bishop or the priest would pin the five pins on the cross and then trace the year that said, you know, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, today and forever. And he is the master of all time. Um, so it, the blessing of the candle itself is really rich in symbolism and meaning. And now let's move on to the procession. Yes. So after the candle is lit, mm -hmm. then everyone in the church will have been given a smaller candle. Uh, also made of beeswax, so not 100% beeswax. Uh, we're only good enough for 51%, but hey, you know, that's still, it's mostly beeswax. So everyone in the church will have a candle, um, and the altar servers and the deacons will light their small candles from the Paschal candle, and then that flame of the Paschal candle will be shared with everyone throughout the church. So that as the Paschal candle and the procession make its way down the, the aisle, the entire church will be illuminated by candlelight, and right. only candlelight. Now in olden times, uh, when, when back when we, did, we had the, the older process for the RCA, it would be the cabinet, the neophytes, the newly baptized, would be would have the small candles themselves and bring them in. Now you're going to find that your elect have no candles, so they're the only people who do not have candles because they will receive their candles when they're baptized later in the mass. You know, I I, I prefer the the old way. I do too, because in a sense, the neophytes, the new life that they're carrying with them after baptism, and the they're new, sharing in the light of the, Christ. The new flame of faith is is share and lit uh, that's i think that's beautiful but we i guess we've petitioned uh mayor dyer to let us take two lanes out of robinson <laughs> so that we can put our baptistry there oh that's happening soon yeah <laughs> <laughs> so and then once the the candle after stop three times and being proclaimed as the light of christ is put on a stand and we what we do is we're going to sing a hymn a special hymn and it, it's called the exalted some people translate it as um, the the Easter proclamation, right? Uh, but technically, it is the hymn of praise to the candle itself. Yes, uh, beautiful hymn, long, very long, very long. <laughs> you chanted it last year. Are you I, sure you can't even give us like one bar? No. Can we'll, you hum it? <laughs> we'll we'll hold you in suspense. <laughs> we'll hold you in suspense. But you brought some music. That's yeah, so what I thought you were going to sing. Uh, no. You have, look, you've got this beautiful sheet music here. Oh, no, but we're running out of time, man. Are we running out of time? Is anybody yes. keeping the time? Oh, we're good. We're okay, good. okay. look. All just right. bring, just so, sing the beginning. So, like all names in, in the church, exaltate refers to the very first word that is in the text. So, exaltate means exalt, uh, rejoice. So, this is how the first line goes. Uh, here we go. Steve, pressure me into this, people. If your ears start bleeding, it ain't my problem. <laughs> exalt, let them exalt the host of heaven. 
Exalt, let angel ministers of God exalt. Let the trumpet of salvation sound aloud, Almighty King's triumph. Very nicely done. Woo! There we go. Not bad at all. You know, you sang in your homily last weekend. I sure did. And Father Martin actually made me start to tear up. He was singing. So. <laughs> a lot of people were crying. There were a lot of people crying. <laughs> I likened it to, uh, and no one will get this reference, but in the original Muppet movie, there's Kermit the Frog out in the boat with the ukulele singing <laughs> Rainbow <laughs> Connection. And I'm like, wow. You know, one, you, one of the nicknames they gave me in the seminar was Kermit. Kermit the Frog? Yeah. So let's moving on. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I don't know, so now we went from uh, Easter Vigil. So Easter Vigil. So once everybody's in the church, the exaltat has been sung. Uh, we have a few prayers. Then we're going to dive right into We have a lot of reading. Right. And the reason why there's so many readings, because we're, we're journeying through the entire salvation history, beginning from creation, the fall of man, the liberation from uh, slavery in Egypt, all the way to... The resurrection of Christ, which is the the gospel reading itself, right? Um, and a lot of people, find and that's not all of salvation history. We're just bringing you up into the current covenant, right? That's right, like right. beginning to current covenant, right? We don't do any revelation. Misspoke. Misspoke. It's okay. No, it's all right. I just, there's going to be somebody who's going to email in. I just wanted to, you know, <laughs> I'm trying to head them off at the pass. Honestly, a, a lot of folks get turned off by the fact why the, the liturgy is very long, but you know. Give it a chance and check out and give your heart to it because it's a beautiful and rich in meaning night. Uh, it is a night that is really the birth of our salvation. Yes. Yes. And if, if you honestly, um, if you enjoy participating in the, in the liturgies of Holy Week, uh, but you haven't been to an Easter vigil, you, you, you owe it to yourself. I mean, I'm, I'm at every Easter vigil because of the RCIA. And the first one I attended was it was so moving. It was unlike any other mass you'll attend. Um, there's so much. It, it's pride isn't the right word, but you just feel so um, illuminated, right? For lack of a better word, um, by the whole by the whole evening, and it goes fast. I mean, I'm always amazed every year. But but after we have the readings um, and the gospel, and and the you know, pastor or the bishop will give his homily. Then we begin the part where we actually bring in uh, the elect into the church. So mm -hmm. not only are we being, you know, reborn in Christ through Easter, but now we're actually, you will witness people dying to their old selves and rising again through the waters of baptism as new new creations in Christ. Sure. Right there. And uh, everyone, the folks who are there, they'll be baptized. Um, they'll be placed under a white garment. They'll receive their candles that you guys got and everybody got at the beginning of the mass. Uh, then they will, um, then they'll be confirmed, mm -hmm. and then they'll celebrate their first holy communions um, when everybody else does later. Sure. In the mass. the, uh, the one thing that I find most moving in the whole thing is when the candle is first brought into the church. The church is filled with darkness. Yes, it's all pitch dark, but from that little tiny flame from the the Christ candle. Then lights begin to be spread, and the church is once again lit. And it speaks to the reality of our human uh, humanity as well. Yeah, life before is a lot of problems, and and sometimes we find the journey and the uh, it's so dark and burdensome. But Christ brings new hope. 
that in the midst of suffering, there's always hope. And that is as tiny as that little flame is, it can spread and it can light up even the whole church. It does. The whole church is literally filled with the light of Christ. So, folks, that pretty much uh, concludes there you go. our There's podcast. There's Holy Week in 24 minutes. And we do try our best to uh, to convey a lot into just 24 minutes, 25 now. Uh, but it is a week of all week, a lot of symbolism, a lot of meaning behind what we celebrate. And so... And it's the culmination of our Lenten period, the, the prayers, um, the fasting, the sacrifices that we've made over time. This is when it all kind of comes to fruition. This is when you kind of, you know, it's like training for a marathon. You're, you do your running and your training um, so that you can run a successful race. In the beginning, and really kind of the race or that, that culmination of this period of Lent is the sacred triduum. Right. Arriving finally mm-hmm. at Easter. So just a word of invitation, you know, come, come and see, because there's so much to be seen, so much to experience, and uh, take a little bit of time. You've done enough sacrifices over the Lenten season. Now come, what the purpose of it all? Because fasting isn't just for the sake of fasting, but it leads to rejoicing. All that journey of uh, motivation, um, mortification and fasting ends with the Easter joy. That's right. And so we wish you all a very, very blessed Easter. Uh, hope you have a great uh, Holy Week. And, um, and if you can, as Father Martin mentioned, try to take some time to jump in and participate in even one of the things um, in the Sacred Triduum. And uh, as a gift to Father Martin, we won't be here next week. Uh, Father Martin's going to get some well-earned vacation. So, and you get a vacation from us, which I'm sure everybody's excited about. So we'll see you back in two weeks. Happy Easter. Yep, until we meet again. Happy Easter. Faith Fit Radio and the Diocese of Orlando presented Ex Nihilo with Father Martin Wen and Steve Buckland. Thank you for listening. Check out the podcast at faithfitradio.org and tune in next time. May you be blessed with peace and joy.